but you know, I had the same challenge when I when I first started coaching. It frustrated the hell out of me that I couldn't <laughs> would it swim right. Just swim right. I don't know how to tell you to do it right. Yeah. Um, you should just do it this way. Um, and and I think the biggest learning I had was that people learn in different ways, and and one prompt or cue might work for one individual. Um, but for another, it's meaningless and, and they can't mm. get their head around it. Um, so it's important to have several different cues to try and get the same point across. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is a fellow coach, but also a, uh, a competitor. Uh, a, a triathlete who has done a huge amount of racing and has done one of the one of the longer distance uh, triathlons that there is, Ultraman, and done incredibly well. In it. So, John McCann, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Brenton. Welcome. I uh, think uh, happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, be this morning. Oh, <laughs> uh, look, it's uh, it's before nine o'clock, so you've got uh, you've got all the excuses you, you like uh, being over in WA. And um, I mean, for you guys over there, it seems like it's been pretty much uh, unchanged with, with how things have been over the last couple of months or last 12 months or so in terms of uh, racing and that kind of thing. Yeah, we've been pretty lucky over here uh, with Mr. McGowan locking the border down and uh, keeping the virus out. We've pretty much had business as usual. So most of our races are going ahead. Uh, a lot of them are selling out, which is really great. And uh, yeah, training carries on as usual. Got a lot of uh, people you know, from over here who are hoping to be able to get over to, um, to Busso and race next year um, because it's such a, a great event. And um, for you, for your background, could you let the, the listeners know sort of what, what your background is in terms of competition and, and coaching? Because you've got a, a wealth of experience in, the, in triathlon and um, a pretty handy swimmer yourself. So for those listening, uh, John competed in Ultraman in 2021 and you had the fastest swim leg the 10k swim in averaging pretty much just over 130s i think it was was it yeah about 133s yeah which is pretty pretty handy so um yeah what's uh for those listening what's your your background in terms of triathlon yeah well, i i've been in triathlon for a while i started in uh, 1986 so a lot of your listeners probably weren't even born at that time um so 36 years in the in the business um, I started at high school, had a, a PE teacher who was, uh, he said, hey, there's this great new sport called triathlon. You really should give it a go because, you know, you're pretty handy around the track and you're a good swimmer. At the time, I didn't have a bike. So uh, that was the one thing I needed to, to build on. But in, in sort of the last 36 odd years, uh, probably raced over 300 races now. Um, and in the last 10 years, the focus has moved more towards longer distance uh, and uh, Ironman events. So I've competed uh, seven Ironmans in the last 10 years. I find as, as I get older, I get a bit slower and the longer distances are a lot more appealing, uh, lower intensity, uh, just a, a little more of a, a casual day out. Although I still do love the, um, the sprint races and the, and the standard distance races. So I, I uh, knock a few of those out every year as well. Um, you know, obviously with most athletes, they, they keep looking for the next big thing and you go through the, the standard and then the 70.3 and then the Ironman, once you've done a few Ironmans, you say, well, okay, what's next? And obviously I sort of looked over to Noosa and saw the Ultraman event and thought, oh yeah, I'll give that a crack and uh, signed up for that actually for um, the 2020 event, which was cancelled due to COVID. So I had a bit of an extended um, training period getting ready for, for that race, which uh, finally went ahead in May this year. And in terms of the differences in 
training for the two events. So from Ironman to Ultraman, how did you change your, your approach? Um, it, it's not all that different, to be honest. I sort of look back at some of my training peak stats for the last uh, couple of years. And, um, you know, for, for Ironman, you know, I typically do between 15 and 20 hours of training a week. Um, for Ultraman, it was a little more than that, um, sort of the 20 to 25 hour range. And the primary difference was the amount of time spent on the bike. Um, so with Ultraman, with a you know, a, a day, day one on Ultraman for the listeners that may not be aware of the race is a 10k swim followed by a 140k bike ride, uh, and that bike ride has about 1300 meters of, of elevation gain. Um, then on day two, uh, you get out of bed and just whack out a, a nice easy 280k ride um, with 2300 meters of elevation gain. So it's not by no means a flat uh, ride course. And then on the third day, uh, you back it all up with a with a double marathon, an 84k run. Um, along the coast at Noosa there, which again isn't flat, probably 500 metres of, of climbing in that, uh, in that day as well. So a huge emphasis on, on the bike um, and getting comfortable on the bike for very long periods of time. So uh, quite often out on the bike for between uh, five and, and eight hours for the long training sessions uh, in the lead up to the race. So that's the primary difference. And, you know, the other thing that a lot of people are probably concerned about when they think about Ultraman is, well, there's this, this double marathon that you've got to get ready for. And, you know, it would be, be unwise to do a lot of, um, you know, high volume run training uh, in the lead up to an event like that. The running portion, as everyone knows, is, is quite punishing on the body. Um, and when you're fatigued and, and run down from long, long ride sessions, um, it's it's dangerous to do too much running. So I had a, a bit of a different strategy. My my running was actually pretty minimal leading into to Ultraman. I I replaced that training with with more time in the pool, um, which gave me sort of both um, base fitness and the opportunity to recover from some of the bike rides. Um, and rather than doing long miles in running, I um, I focused on gym work to try and build leg strength. Uh, it wasn't necessarily by plan. I had some injuries going into the race, so that meant that running for me was a little bit difficult. Um, but reflecting back on it, it was a really a really good strategy that, that worked well for race day. So if you were to do it again, you'd take that same approach of not doing too much running and just yeah. building up the strength? Absolutely. Yeah, I'd like to have done more running. Um, it was, just looking back on the data, I was averaging 10 to 20K a week in the runs for the six weeks leading up to Ultraman. And um, virtually nothing in the three months prior to that due to um, calf injuries. Um, that's clearly not enough to, to get through an 84K run. <laughs> I, was, I was actually telling the guys I was racing with at the 20K mark of the run that this was the longest run I'd done in the last six months. And most of them looked at me <laughs> a little bit shocked and then proceeded to run off into the sunset. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, I mean, the good news was I did manage to get through the strength work in the gym, the, the long miles on the bike, um, all contributed to sort of some good overall fitness and strength that meant that I was able to run the, the full distance of the, of the double marathon, albeit um, a little bit slower than what I would have, would have preferred to have done if I had the right level of training. Did For the swim, what sort of training were you doing in the lead up to Ultraman? Yeah, I don't, I don't change my swim training a lot you know, with a swimming background, that's that's my strongest leg, um, and I and I love the swim. It's uh, it's what I get the most enjoyment out of. 
So for me, three to four swims a week is is normal. That's kind of my base training, um, regardless of, of what events are coming up. And, and I'll normally knock out between 12 and 15K a week with, um, with that sort of duration. Um, most weeks I'll, I'll focus on, you know, one to two sort of longer endurance swims. Um, one more of a hard threshold uh, uh, hit out. And then uh, I'll usually have a, a more resting recovery technique focused swim most weekends, usually after a long ride, just to stretch things out a little bit and um, just lock in the right sort of technique cues. And what are some of those technique cues that you focus on? Um, well, for me, you know, I've had a look at some of my, my own video of how I swim and it looks terrible. I mean, I'm, I'm quite <laughs> embarrassed. I'm, I'm not a pretty swimmer. Um, I, you know, I, I get, um, I, relatively quick but um, my stroke doesn't look uh, smooth at all uh, I have a tendency to have a quite a big arch in my back um, to try and maintain that level body position uh, and that's pro predominantly because I've got a tendency to, to lift my head and look forward um, I also have um, to do a lot of work and think really hard about my catch making sure that I'm uh, I'm keeping a you know nice high elbow through the catch and pull phase of this stroke um, so for me, you know, people ask me sometimes, well, what do you think about during a 10K swim? For me, it's I'm constantly thinking about technique cues. <laughs> what can I do to try and make this stroke a little bit more efficient and life a little bit easier for me? Um, and, you know, that, uh, that usually gets me through. Yeah, and it's, I, I find it similar when I've ever done those sort of longer, longer events or races. It's like in the back of your mind, it's always just trying to keep, keep your form as well as obviously just, keeping track of your your pace and making sure you're not going too hard or letting your mind drift and slowing down uh but i mean being this at the sort of level you are with your with your swimming there's got to be some things you do well so what do you think some of those strengths are of your stroke even if it doesn't look smooth as you say or look pretty yeah it's a good question the um you know, one thing I notice is that I, I am a little bit quicker in a wetsuit. And uh, one of the great things about uh, Ultraman is that it is a wetsuit legal swim. So um, I tend to get a little bit better body position once I do have the wetsuit on, and that helps quite a bit. Um, I'm quite an experienced open water swimmer. Um, last year, I, um, I did a, a solo swim to Rottnest Islands. It's a, it's a big event here in Perth. And uh, that's a uh, Rottnest Islands, uh, about 20k off the coast of Perth. So, one morning a year, a couple of thousand people line up on the beach in Perth and they swim across to Rottnest Island. And that's um, and that was great fun. That takes about took me just over six hours, and um, you know, I had had a ball. And that is a that's a non wetsuit swim in in sort of rough open water. Um, but I, you know that that open water swim experience I think makes a big difference, and I do practice it quite a lot in the lead up to races. So the sort of six to eight weeks before a race, I will add one to two open water swims into my program, uh, and just focus on basic open water skills like siding, um, you know, making sure that I can I can breathe both directions in case I've got weather coming from one side or another. I've got quite a swingy uh, recovery. Um, which, which helps particularly in rough water, as, as you'd know. Um, so, you know, I think, those, I think those open water skills make a big difference. You know, being able to swim in a straight line is, is critical. You know, I've got a lot of athletes that swim well, but you get them in open water and they zigzag around a little bit and cover a couple extra hundred metres, which, um, which is not great for your overall race speed. 
no. so that's that'd be the primary thing I'd say that that I have as a strength is those uh, those open water skills and just time in the open water. And training for right nest was that that's the first time and only time you've done it. Yeah, it is. Uh, entry's open today for uh, they did for say, the yeah. next year's <laughs> event, and uh, I'm I'm quite tempted to have another run at it. Uh, but I think I'll, I'll take another year off and, and think about it sometime in the future. <laughs> yeah, you got me. Uh, I did. I swam it maybe four or five. I can't remember four or five years ago now, and uh, I loved the training for it. I really enjoyed the the training, and I and love race day as well. Uh, apart from the last probably hour, uh, hour and a half, where I really started to feel it. But it's um, it's such a great event, and I just I love the feeling of being that fit, that swim fit. Whereas I don't think, I've, well, I've been that swim fit before, but not for like distance swimming, more for like, you know, competition. And um, yeah, it was just, it, it's really got me wanting to train again, especially after being out of the pool for so long. Yeah, no, I know that. what you mean. It was, uh, for me, I, I enjoyed the focus on one discipline for a change. So I did spend yeah. months with just, you know, focus mostly on the pool. Um, my coach was, my coach was um, Shelly Taylor-Smith. So um She's a, a world-renowned open water swimmer, and she was quite disappointed that I did still do a little bit of cycling and running uh, while I was training <laughs> with her. I got quite a few talkings to, and uh, quite a few about not being, um, not carrying quite enough body fat to uh, to get over the cold water conditions either. So she wanted me about eating more and riding and, and uh, running to uh, try and build up a bit more body fat. <laughs> <laughs> did um, did you feel the cold during the race? Uh, you know, I struggled in some of the lead-up events to the swim. Um, so early, early in the season, the water was was quite cool, and getting towards the end of some of the the five and ten k warm-up swims, uh, I was feeling it. So I was a bit nervous on the day, but the day turned out to be relatively mild, and I, I didn't have any temperature issues along the way. Mm. Oh, that's it's fortunate. I yeah, I felt it probably 13, 14k's in, and uh, but I just can't. I, so one of the guys I coached years ago, he trained up for the English channel and it took it. I don't know. He has, I don't think he's ever got back down to his, his um, weight pre training for the channel because the amount of weight he had to put on. But I just look at that and go, man, I don't want to have to put on like five, I don't know, probably like five or six kilos to, um to avoid feeling it. Although that said, if I was to swim rot nest now, apart from my fitness, I'd probably be fine. Cause I've, uh, I stepped on the scales the other day and I went, all right, you got to do something now. It's time to start start training again because it's uh yeah without much swimming, it's uh it's not pretty. But uh, I just yeah I find it hard to put on the weight. I just don't want to. You know, it's yeah, it's not yeah. a, a good feeling. That's a dilemma for all athletes is you don't really want to put it on because you know how hard it is to get it off. Uh, and particularly if if swimming is one thing that you do, but you do a lot of cycling and running as well, the extra weight for cycling and running is really works against you. So. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, it didn't, you know, while I did have a little bit of extra weight for Rottnest, it didn't make a lot of sense to do a lot of running at that time either, just because of the added load that the, that the weight would put on me. Mm. And uh, let's jump over to your, your coaching now. So how long have you been coaching other triathletes for? Uh, I guess it was about six years ago that I did my Triathlon Australia coaching qualification. And uh, at that time, my wife and I formed a a coaching business called TriXL. And um, we sort of worked that in the background with our day jobs. We were both engineers working for, for major uh, energy companies at the time. So we didn't have a lot of spare time and we only coached a sort of handful of athletes. And then in uh, this year, we've, we've both sort of taken a step back from full-time work and the coaching is now um, 
a little more um, taking front and center. So we're, we've ramped up our activity there, taking on a few more athletes and having a great time with it. Was that always the plan or is it just something that you found you enjoyed the coaching and you thought, okay, yeah, this, this could be all right to do a bit more? You know, yeah, I mean, we love the coaching. It's it's such a fulfilling um, career choice, uh, helping people out. And, you know, most people, when you sort of get them through a, a big event or a big block of training, are so so grateful for what you do for them. It's it's quite satisfying to uh, to get that that feeling. And, and you, you know, as a swim coach, that, you know, if you can get a, a breakthrough in someone's stroke, or improve their fitness. You know, they're just uh, they're, they're so grateful. When you when you come out of the big corporate world where you really don't get thanks for anything, it's more more you know why didn't you do this better? Um, it's a great feeling to work with people and feel like you're making a difference for them. So uh, we've we've been loving it. It's um you know it's always probably just going to be a, a hobby business for us. Um, just something we do in the background because we enjoy it. it keeps us um, connected to the triathlete community. And um, so it helps us in our own education. So one of the greatest things about taking on the coaching courses was sort of learning for myself, even though you know, I had about 30 years experience in the sport, there's, there's so much you don't know and there's so much that is changing and that we're discovering um, every day that um, you know, things change. We no longer run in speedos. So, you know, that's I think, <laughs> I think really disappointing, but, uh, you know, technology moves on. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I look back at, um, or I see some of those photos from like the, from the nineties of, um, uh, like Chris McCormack and um, some of those guys running around the speedos. And I mean, you only got there's, there's very few who do it these days, and um, and those that do stand out like a sore thumb uh, for better or worse. So yeah, yeah, that things things do change quite a bit. But in terms of your approach for coaching people on the swim portion of it over that six years um has your approach changed at all because i found like for me coming from a swimming background things come very naturally but then when i had to start coaching it it was like all right you gotta you've really got to take a step back um because if you haven't grown up swimming then for those people learning later on it's very different and um i really had to come up with a different approach compared to how i was taught yeah, look, I've had exactly the same experience as you. And, and you know, I, I love the work you do because I, I sort of feel your pain <laughs> in terms of, you know, looking at the way we were taught to swim and the drills that we were given as kids. And you kind of step back and say, well, hang on, what's this actually trying to achieve? And um, in most cases, it's really difficult to get a connection between the type of drill that's been prescribed and some sort of specific improvement. So, you know, I really love the way you've broken um, the stroke down and explained it to, to swimmers in a way that's um, easy for them to understand. But, you know, I had the same challenge when I, when I first started coaching. It frustrated the hell out of me that I couldn't <laughs> would it swim right. Just swim right. I don't know how to tell you to do it right. Yeah. Um, you should just do it this way. Um, and, and I think the biggest learning I had was that people learn in different ways and, and one prompt or cue might work for one individual, um, but for another, it's meaningless and, and they can't mm. get their head around it. Um, so it's important to have several different cues to try and get the same point across. Um, you know, so thinking about a, a high elbow um, through, through your pull phase of your stroke. You know, I often use the term, you know, you've got to get over the barrel. That's that's the prompt that I use because to me that kind of makes sense that you know you'll have a high elbow if you if you um, visualize a sort of barrel under your armpit. Uh, but for a lot of people, that's meaningless. That's you know they can't quite understand what that means. So you've got to find a different way of describing it. 
um, and usually two or three different ways before you can get something that will click. Yeah, uh, that's uh, yeah. It's interesting you say that. I, I find the exact same thing, and I'll then try and use that cue uh, with someone else, and it might work, and it might fix it, or it might just go, "No, nah, all right, let's take a different approach." And I've had to explain that as well to the swimmers that I that I coach, like online, who will send videos quite regularly because it's yeah we'll try something might not work and say all right that's all right let's just let's just take a different approach um and see if this works and we eventually get there but um i think it's important for them as well not to feel like they're like defeated that uh it's never going to work because this one way didn't didn't work now everyone's different and um and even for if you know you've got the experience of coaching lots of people you, you might not get that uh that cue or that approach right first time so it does take a, a couple of attempts to get there yeah yeah i mean i think the funniest cue that i've come up with is one that i use in my life and i've tried to improve her swimming for about 30 years now and you know actually she's taken on the catch challenge and, and she's doing your your eight week faster freestyle program because she's given up with me trying to coach her basically. <laughs> but, but the one breakthrough we had before was um she she was struggling to get her her shoulder elbow and wrist aligned uh, as they passed below her body and and she always you know, was always leading with her elbow and you know we, we used sort of various prompts to try and correct that but the one that stuck with her was I finally said to her look you're swimming like a t-rex um, you know like a like a big dinosaur with short arms and your elbows pulling through first and that was the prompt that that sort of clicked something in and I said, oh, now I get it. And when she looked at the video, she said, yeah, that's exactly the way it looks and the way it feels. And now I know what I need to do to try and correct that. So I think you've just got to get creative sometimes yeah. and everyone's got a different prompt that'll stick with them. Uh, that's I like that one. That's so good. I was actually uh, doing analysis about heart just before we started filming. And um, it was the same thing uh, with the swimmer was the elbow was just pulling through much too soon before the hand had moved down. And uh I'm, yeah, I'll see if, uh, see if that one works for him. Um, and I mean, I, I think of my, my, I've seen my wife swim once uh, and I think it was on our honeymoon and, and she swam in the pool and, and I laughed because I thought this is so funny. I've never seen her swim, but I, we've been together for like, I don't know, seven years or something or six years. And, um, and then when she saw me laughing, she stopped swimming. She's like, I'm never swimming in front of you again. So I haven't seen her swim since. So uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I get your pain. It's, uh, <laughs> it, it's different when it's family. Uh, so, uh, yeah, whereas you've probably got the athletes coming to you who'll listen to every word that you say, but when it's someone, uh, someone related, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a lot harder. A little more challenging. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, my dad was my coach and, um, I, I think lucky for him that, um, that I was a good student and I, and I listened to him and, uh, didn't sort of, um, play up like it. You could find with a, a father son sort of coaching, um, duo, but, um, yeah, it's just, and I've never really had, uh, never really had a, a different coach in, in my sort of formative years as a, as a teenager growing up. But um, yeah, I think it's lucky for him that I, that I listen. Cause I look at my young kids now who are three and five and like uh, even just trying to get them to do some basic stuff in the pool, they do not listen. Um, whereas if it's with the teacher or with like their grandma, yeah, they'll listen, but it's, uh, it's so much harder um, that way. And uh, with, with the athletes that you're coaching, uh, a lot of them, uh, I mean, you've probably got a, a wide range of athletes, but where do you find most of them are with their swimming? Are they fairly new to it? Do they, are they in survival mode or are they you know, pretty comfortable? 
Yeah, so we we specifically focus on more mature athletes in our coaching business. Uh, we feel like that's where our strength is. You know, people that maybe have got busy careers, busy family lives, trying to fit a lot in, may not have come into the sport until a little bit later on in their life and are looking for sort of new challenges. So typically, sort of in the older age groups, um, majority of them don't have a swimming background. In fact, I'd say none of them have a swimming background. I'd love to have mm. an athlete that <laughs> <doesn't> swim. <laughs> um, but, yeah, most of them have sort of come into swimming late, late in life and um, have developed some pretty bad habits. Um, so I, I tend to, you know, I, I prefer to actually um, video all of my athletes um, before I write a program for them, um, mm. primarily so that... Um, for the for the sections of the of the workouts that I prescribe for them, I can be a bit more specific about the sort of drills that will give them some benefit and help them improve. I'm, I'm a strong believer in speed in, in older athletes. Getting faster in swimming is not about swimming more. It's not about swimming harder. It's about correcting stroke deficiencies. Um, that's where the gains are to be made. I think you, you know you've demonstrated that with a lot of your clients that. You know, just correcting a few sort of minor stroke deficiencies can yield a 10, 20, 30 second per hundred improvement. So, you know, I try and encourage my athletes to really focus on, you know, the drill portion of their workouts um, and, and just being consistent. Um, you know, I'd, I'd much rather someone knock out two swims a week every week for six months than, you know, four swims one week and no swims the next week and no swims the week after that. So, yeah, for me, swimming is all about consistency, you know, doing it regularly, uh, and it's about really focusing on getting the technique right rather than, you know, trying to kill yourself every time you're in the pool and, you know, sprint against your mates. Yeah, I completely, completely agree. And are those athletes, are they all local? So you're able to film them yourself or you'll get them to send some footage? Yeah, at the moment, yeah, at the moment they're all local. So I'm actually um, at the pool um, with the GoPro filming them. Um, but if they if they weren't, yeah, we would uh, we try and get them to to get a friend to video them so we could at least have a look at what we're, what we're dealing with. Mm. And are you uh, with the footage? Are you then um, doing the analysis there with them, or are you like then sending it on to them? Or how do you how do you what's that process like for you? Yeah, it's uh, we typically you know spend sort of half an hour in the pool with the camera, and then you know I let them finish their workout while I download that video, and then once they've wrapped up their swim, we sit down together and I sort of walk them through what I'm seeing, just at a very sort of high level first view. Uh, what I find uh, is that I spot a lot more if I can actually get some quiet time and sit down and go over the videos a couple of times. Um, so I'll, I'll usually pick up one or two other things. Um, when I've you know, when I sort of get home with the video and take a closer look at it on the bigger screen, um, and then usually, um, you know, my preference is only to give people one or two things to think about. You, know, you can usually spot, you know, maybe five or six deficiencies with a stroke, um, and the challenge for me is working out what are the one or two things that will give them the biggest bang for the buck. Mm. Um, and you know, usually it comes down to you know, body position is probably the primary one and then sort of focus on the catch is, is the other area where I see a lot of improvements. And, uh, and after they've got those things to work on, are you then prescribing them specific drills and then explaining the purpose behind them? And, uh, and then how much of those drills would you normally prescribe? 
Yeah, absolutely. We usually, um, there's, a, there's a handful of basic drills that are, that are good for correcting a lot of issues in swimming, as long as you give the swimmer the right prompt on what they're, what they're focused on during that drill. So catch up is a great example where you can use that to correct a lot of sins, uh, as long as you're directing the swimmer and what aspects of, of the stroke are you trying to really focus on while you're doing that drill. So I, I like to um, observe all the swimmers doing their drills to make sure that they're, they're executing them correctly. And then, you know, once we've seen the video and we, we know what they need to work on, then I sort of focus them in on, okay, when you're doing that drill, here's what I'd like you to really think about and practice. Mm. It's and then, um, then in the, in the programming, um, what I'll normally do is um, I, I like to include drills every time they get in the pool. So it'll usually range from somewhere between um, 500 and a K um, of drill work that they'll be doing um, and sort of mixing up the, the different drills to give them a little bit of variety, but always focusing on those one or two things that are their um, biggest areas for improvement. Yeah, nice. It's, um, I really like that, that approach. And obviously we use something you know, pretty, pretty much along those lines as well. And it's, um, I was doing a, a gym session yesterday. So I've started going to Keyser, which is a, anyway, a gym, a gym near me. And, uh, one of the things that they have with their exercises, it's like, it's one, uh, one round and, um, to, it's basically to like nine out of 10 fatigue for 90 to 120 seconds. And they want you to go like four seconds, um, out hold for two seconds, four seconds back hold for two seconds. So it's four, two, four, two. And I've in this session yesterday, I was my third session there completely forgot about it. And the, the coach pulled me up on, he's like, okay, four, two. And I was like, okay, yeah. Like that's one of the fundamental things that they've got, but I just wasn't even thinking about it. And it made me think like with these drills, it's so easy or even with your stroke it's so easy to just forget these things that sometimes you need this little bit of a, a prompt especially in the early days and so it was my third session um and it made me I, I guess have a bit more um understanding for for people when they're swimming that they're not going to remember all these things uh straight away it takes time um especially if i can forget something so basic as like the, the fundamental timing of the of the movement that i'm doing yeah, I think that's a really good example. Um, I'm going through something similar at the moment, doing some some rehab for an injury, and my, my sports physio has has given me videos of how to properly execute each of the um, exercises he'd like me to do. But I find I'm done them now for five six weeks. I'm, I'm continually going back to the video to take another look to say, well, what you know, have I got the right body position? Am I using the right breathing technique? Have I got the right speed of this drill? So. These sorts of um, gym exercises or rehab exercises, I think, have a lot in common with the drills we do in the pool. And um, I think you know, showing a person once how to do it is great, but it's, it needs regular reinforcement and regular oversight to make sure it's being done uh, correctly. Yeah, yeah, completely, completely agree. And uh, for you going forwards, is there any events that you've got coming up that you, or any that you've got in mind? Uh, well, Ultraman broke me, uh, it's fair to say. So um, I'm, I'm currently taking a little bit of time off, um, particularly the sort of longer endurance training. There's only so many eight-hour bike rides that you can tolerate in a year, I think. So um, I've kind of got a pretty clear slate for the next few months. But then next year, um, I've got the, the Busso 100, which is the, the new Bustleton race in May that replaces the, the 70.3. 
Um, I've got the uh, Sunny Coast 70.3 and the Noosa Triathlon. And um, I'm going to have a go at the Cape to Cape mountain bike race um, in uh, WA, which is it was just held this past week. So a year from now. Where's that go from? So that starts, uh, it's down in the southwest of WA. It's based around the Margaret River region and goes from Augusta up to dwelling up over four days. So Right. And what's the total uh, distance? Yeah, good for, a, good for a bit of variety. Distances aren't that great. So, well, aren't they great? There's mountain biking, but um, sort of 40 to 50K a day um, over a lot of single track and a little bit of fire trail. Yeah, nice. Well, that uh, sounds like you've got a busy busy schedule ahead. And I mean, I imagine it's for me, I, when I'm racing and I've got something to train for, I find I'm a much better coach. Do you find something similar? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm completely lost without a goal. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, my training tends to get a little bit um, creative and inconsistent. Um, but like I said, the one thing that stays constant is, is the swim training. So, you know, regardless of whether I've got a race coming or not, I'll still get to the pool at least two to maybe three times a week um, just to keep it's good maintenance, just keeps all the joints moving um, and keeps that base level of fitness going. Mm, I found that with, uh, not being out of the pool for so much this year. Like I've, I, I don't know, I probably haven't been more injured than I have this year. And it's just like, I, th- I think it's so good for you, as you said, for your, for your joints, for your general movement and strength through, through your whole body. And it just, it loosens you up so much. And so, yeah, just like back and neck and all this sort of stuff I've never had. Um, but so I, I put that down to just really, I'd never taken longer than about two weeks out of the pool since I was like 12, I reckon. Um, so I've got to get back to it, but it's, it is such a good sport that you can do all the way, uh, all the way into your, your hundredth year. I reckon like there's, it's just such a great sport and I'm, I'm glad that it's uh, something that I enjoy and, uh, something that, you know, just continue to do because, uh, yeah, as you said, like with running, it's, uh, it's, it's a great exercise to do and it's a lot of fun, but it's a lot harder on the joys. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've never been, you know, touch wood, never been injured swimming, uh, even with the volume mm. of swimming that I do. Um, I'm kind of lucky that my, my shoulders are quite robust, so that's not an issue for me. But I have been injured when I don't swim. So that yeah. lack of maintenance does lead to back injuries, joint pain, various other things. So for me, swimming is great maintenance and um, a good way to, to loosen up and um, relax and prepare for the other exercises that we do. Yeah, totally agree. And for those listening, what's the best way to get in touch with you if they'd like to uh, find out more about your uh, coaching or any any of those sorts of things? Yeah, we've got a we've got a very professional looking website, if I do say so myself, because I, I prepared it, uh, <laughs> and that's uh, people can find that at triexcel.com.au. So that's T R I E X C E L, triexcel. Uh, we also have a presence on Facebook and Instagram with that same tag, triexcel. Fantastic. Well, uh, thanks very much. For, uh, for being on the podcast, John, I've really enjoyed it and good luck for those upcoming races. You makes I need to book in something. I think it's uh, there's one open water swim that I'm going to book in uh, soon when it opens. But uh, yeah, it's you've sort of got the juices flowing when I, I think about swimming Rottnest again and that kind of thing. It's uh, yeah, I really would love to get fit. So I appreciate appreciate you being on the uh, on the call and uh, yeah, uh, thanks for uh, for being here. No problems. I've enjoyed it. And, and if you do come over for Rotnest, make sure you drop by and we'll maybe even billet you at the house here and feed you up before the race. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, John. No worries, mate. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.